Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience and would like to support our efforts, join our Patreon team. In addition to exclusive benefits, you will be listed as an anti-trafficking advocate on each episode of the podcast. We would like to thank Vicki Price, Stephanie Kern, and Willie P for their continued support as patrons of this podcast. Thank you so much. Hey guys, welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. that's a business and uh well that business has a product called little kids and those little kids um you know they're basically slaves if you will they, you know they're captive and they can't go come and go as they please etc right. and then you have another brand or organization or type or style of abuse called sexual ritualistic abuse yes and these are creepy creepy ones because uh, they don't necessarily do it for money, let's say. Hi, I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I'm Zona. I'm a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness. I'm a tiny house enthusiast and a serial foodie. Our guest today is Jimmy Toro. He's an American contemporary, internationally acclaimed artist, author of his new book, Heal, founder of the nonprofit Rescue 11, whose mission is to protect children against predators. He's also a composer and music producer. Jimmy has spoken at numerous events and mental health panels, including the 2023 NBA All-Star event. He has also created art for various charity-related projects with Rescue 11, um, such as Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Habitat for Humanity, and the Orange Duffelback Initiative. Welcome, Jimmy. We're so glad to have you on today. Hey, guys. Zona here. I wanted to take a minute and really share this episode of the podcast has some very heavy content. If that is something that is going to bother you, remember, you can always take a break. You can always recenter yourself. You can come back and listen to it later if it's a good deal for you. So want to make sure that you have that heads up before you start listening. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving a platform for this conversation. Really appreciate it. Very powerful. Well, we would love to hear uh, more about you. How did you uh, kind of end up in this field? <laughs> <laughs> the field of trauma? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I wish I knew, right? I mean, right. Do you want me to just dive into this? Yes, yeah. please. Okay. All right. If you think about uh, children who get abused, right, there are different... Uh, levels of abuse and there mm -hmm. are different types of abusers let's say 
So a classic father who gets angry once in a while and beats his kid is a level of abuse. But the father who rapes his child is a is a worse level of abuse. Right? Yes. It involves it involves this sexual component, let's say. Right. Uh, then you have abusers who organize themselves in groups. Mm-hmm. And you have different types of groups that they organize themselves in. So one type of group would be similar to a classic uh, group or individual who runs a brothel, let's say. Right. Well, they they have uh, a business and they have clients who come into their business. They pay them money so that they, they can go to a room and have typically have sex with a girl. That's typically. Well, in the realm of child abuse, you have similar type of brothels, if you will, but the, the clientele come to have sex with young people, primarily yes. pedophiles and whatnot. And that's a business. And uh, well, that business has a product called Little Kids. And those little kids, um, you know, they're basically slaves, if you will. They, you know, they're captive and they can't go and come and go as they please, etc. Right. And then you have another brand or organization or type or style of abuse called sexual ritualistic abuse. Yes. And these are creepy, creepy ones because uh, they don't necessarily do it for money, let's say. They just do it for to satisfy their sadist pleasure. And, you know, the definition of a sadist is somebody who enjoys inflicting pain on another, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, these creeps are the worst sadists because they enjoy inflicting pain on little children. Mm-hmm. They're also the ultimate cowards because little children can't fight back physically or mentally like an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I was caught up in into that as a little kid from about age two or three to age eight. And, uh, <laughs> So these these creeps they they kind of steal from from history and from other religions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So historically, like if you look at the, if you go to the Bible, let's say, and you take the Jewish people in the Old Testament, where you know they, Moses came in and they 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 found their promised land and they became a people, and then they they. They had their rituals, right? Their temples and their garments, and they and they did their animal sacrifices and whatnot. Very ritualistic group of people. Mm. Well, apparently they did that in a righteous way, if you will. And then, as generations went on, they ended up doing it in a not so righteous way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, not just that group, but you you see it like in the Incas and the Mayas through history and other historical things. For some reason, they devolve into sacrificing little children. See, and I don't know why, but they do. And uh, and and now this sacrificial uh, ritual involves involves around little children. And personally, I think it is a, a cop out or an excuse. Yeah. To satisfy their deviant nature. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the classic things you'll hear from from some of these types of uh, organizations that, uh, well, we, we sacrifice children because they are the most precious thing to God and we're giving God the most precious thing. I'm like, that, that is such BS. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you're doing it because you're a sexual deviant and you want to control people. Right. Well, so these organizations exist today and they exist in your communities and you probably don't even know about it. You don't have to be caught up in a Jeffrey Epstein, you know, Hollywood politician, big name, big fame stuff, which 
I believe, goes on in that realm. But it also goes on in the realm of in your community, people who mm -hmm. don't have that kind of faith. Yeah. And they get together. And in my case, you know, it, it involved a number of families who participated in this. And they have their rituals and they wear their robes and they do their things that they do. They think of like the Ku Klux Klan, you know, where they all dress in their white robes. But right. Think of that without the hats, right? And instead of circling a cross and burning the cross, they might, well, they might circle a cross, but they also might circle a pole. And instead of burning the pole, they might actually put a human on that pole. And mm -hmm. a human. And, uh, well, once again, central to these creeps is the little child. Right. And the sacrifice of a little child. Well, sometimes they just torture little children because they enjoy the torture. And sometimes they actually do kill children and sacrifice little children. And so my story is being caught up in a ring of these creeps. Um, back when I was a little kid. And yeah. um, the other thing interesting about it is take a little kid who's being tortured or abused what is that one what does that little kid want the one thing that little kid wants is safety mm -hmm. or you could say protection same thing mm -hmm. well if a little kid gets abused let's say by their uncle or whatever and that little kid can go to mom who provides safety for that little kid that abuse and all of the issues surrounding the abuse the fear the adrenaline rush the actual abuse, the memory, all that can be real can be released right then and there if that kid can find safety. Yeah. But if the abuser is your parent or your guardian, you're caught up in a situation where you have nowhere to go for safety, you literally will lock all that into your body. You will store <laughs> it in your body. Yeah. And you will and and that's not an uncommon thing, especially for horrific abuse that happens over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And in my case that was such. And so for decades, um, I forgot, I had no idea that happened to me. It literally, when it's suppressed, it's literally suppressed. The memory of it and everything is not there. Yeah. And then some, it's not uncommon for men to have that stuff come tumbling back into their lives around their 50s. That's oh, not, wow. That is not uncommon. It seems with, it seems with women, it seems to come back earlier. I don't know why. And uh, so it's, it's a fascinating phenomenon that all of that can be stored in your body for decades and decades. And it can right. come back, it can be, tr it, it can, something can trigger it and it can come back or it can just come back completely unannounced, out of the blue, hits you. And uh, so we can go back to the child stuff if you want to get into some of the detail of what actually happened and all that. Want to go there? Mm -hmm. Whatever you're comfortable yeah. sharing. Yeah. yeah. If you have any questions along the way, just stop me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. Some people, many folks, find it hard to believe that adults can do such atrocious things to children, mm -hmm. and they find yeah. it even harder to believe that those things can be happening by people they possibly know. Right. So I live in Salt Lake City area, and just in the last year, uh, ex-mayor of, of one of the towns outside of Salt Lake, an ex-assistant attorney general, coach, a sex therapist, all busted on child abuse charges. Yeah. A sex therapist. 
12 counts of rape of girls. Like, okay. You know, these creeps, they, they live right in your community and they are, they gravitate towards, um, you find them gravitating towards organizations that deal with kids. Yeah. They will work for orphanages. They will work. They will be involved in like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Mm-hmm. They will become coaches at where at schools where there are, there are kids and whatnot. Uh, they often gravitate towards religions and get involved in youth groups. And <laughs> it's like if you're a parent, um, know that uh, also that you. 95% or approximately 90 some percent of abuse happens to kids by somebody they know. Right. It's typically not a stranger. Although that, mm-hmm. although that does happen, it's typically not. And the other thing parents need to know is that if your kid says anything about themselves being treated wrongly, believe them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't lie. Now, a lot of cases, parents don't believe the kids. I have a friend who, uh, a girl, she was, you know, happy childhood. Mom got divorced, married a new guy. New guy came in, abused the little girl at about age 10 to 12, a couple of years of hardcore abuse. Yeah. She told mom, mom didn't believe her. No way this this new boy that I married, who I'm in love with, love with would do that. These perpetrators, they lie to the kids. They threaten them, obviously, and uh, in 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 the organized groups and especially the ritualistic sexual stuff, um, they don't just threaten kids. They, they actually do kill kids. Yeah. It's, it's not a veiled threat. Uh, and often these perpetrators will tell, tell kids like, Hey, this is our little secret. Things like that. Yeah. And so, um, all right, let's talk about levels of abuse. If you think about torture through history, let's say, um, the people who did the torturing to the torture victim were very creative individuals. There's there's an unlimited amount of torture devices throughout history, medieval times and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they were just, they were very clever at the different ways that they would torture a human. They were very creative. It's like, well, why? Well, because they enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, they they enjoyed their task of torturing people. So, well, they got they might get bored torturing them by hanging them. Also, okay, let's come up with some other creative device. Let's, you know, I, I mean, in in back to the Bible times when the when the evil evil part of the Jew, Jewish history when they would uh, torture little children, like they would have a a big bronze sculpture with its hands out, and uh, well, the bronze. Like most bronze sculptures, they're hollow, and they build a fire in the sculpture. So this, so the metal would be red hot or white hot metal. Mm-hmm. And then they'd stick a baby on that. It's like, and they and they enjoyed that, watching a baby being roasted to death. Mm-hmm. So, in my case, um, I was never burned to death because I'm here talking to you, obviously. Right, <laughs> right. But they they had they have creative. Um, ways of torturing kids um once for instance i was um i was put in this coffin the coffin was in the ground right mm-hmm. and it's like okay well 
if you put a kid in a coffin and then you shut the lid, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But no, we have to get more clever. Let's put a dead body in that coffin. And let's take a, an adult body. And let's mm -hmm. take that adult body and let's cut it, cut it from its throat down to its private area. And let's take its guts out and let's spread it apart and let's put the little kid in the cavity of that human body. Ugh. Well, why would they do that? Because it's even more terror. Yes. Well, when that little kid is, is terrorized beyond measure and beating his hands on the top of the coffin to try to get out and can't get out, pretty soon that little kid is just exhausted and, and gives in to the fact that this is it. Well, these torturers, who they are, they are also, um, let's say they've perfected to some degree the craft of torturing somebody right to the limit. Mm. They fail at their craft, the person they're torturing dies. Right. And so when they open the lid of that coffin, that little boy is still alive. What does that little boy see? He doesn't just see adults opening the lid. He sees adults laughing at him. Yeah. And it's so the sickness of what they do is beyond measure. Mm -hmm. And so I've, from, like you said, from about age three to about age eight, um, I uh, I had a lot of crazy things happen to me. Similar. Mm -hmm. to that. Right. Well. I could tell more if you want, or I'm not sure where where, where we want to. Ah, where are we going to go with this? Do you need a great local or online place to pick up the perfect Christian gifts, such as personalized books, journals, Bibles for littles, or maybe games for the family, or even calendars for back to school? As we get ready for back to school and eventually Christmas, check out Books a Million on our link tree. I've been part of the Millionaires Club since 2021, and I always get complimented on my gift finds from Books a Million. As I have worked to support gluten, nut, and dairy-free recipes into my repertoire, Thrive Market has been a blessing. If you sign up now, you will get their specialty items right to your door and get up to $60 in free groceries in your first box. Grab the link in the description box below and you'll enjoy them as much as I have. You mentioned that your memories were suppressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there any indicators leading up to, I guess, I don't know, indicators maybe in your art or just in your life that there were red flags of something happened to you when you were a kid? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, all right, so, so, so how the memories came back to me was very interesting. Uh, about 15 years ago, so I'm, I'm 60 now. So at around age 45, mm -hmm. um, I was, I had what we would call these episodes happen to me. So if you, if you imagine like a major panic attack hitting you, uh, what happens to your body? Well, it's that classic uh, fight or flight or freeze panic attack type of thing in a major way. 
And so something attacked me. I remember the first one because it was just out of the blue. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. It's the middle of the night at like two in the morning. I wake up to this awful panic attack. Never experienced it or anything. Well, your whole body, my whole body went into like a shake where it was uncontrollably shaking. I had no idea what was happening to me. And my heart was racing off the charts. Mm-hmm. And my mouth was completely dry. And I could not get out of bed and walk. I tried to, and I just fell. Mm. So I found my phone, and I called 911, and the ambulance came. I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. Because the pain was right there in my chest area. <laughs> I had no no other idea knowing what to do. I literally felt like I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, I got rushed to the hospital. It calmed down. I went through every test they do, you know, for potential heart attack victims. Mm-hmm. Right. At the end of it all, it's like, well, Jimmy, you are healthy as can be, and your heart is it's like, oh, wow, okay, it's not a heart attack. Not only is it not a heart attack, your heart is very healthy. Well, that's good. Wow. It's bad, right? Because it's, it's, that's good, yes, but bad. It's like, well, what the hell happened? Sure. Well, these types of uh, panic attacks frequented my life at an average of a probably two or three a week for 14 years. Oh, wow. And in that That's time, so I had no memory of abuse. Wow. And the 15th year, which was the beginning of last year, 2022, I had a first memory come back hmm. after all of that. So for those 14 years, um, I've been to the ER room so many times because these attacks... These attacks, they had and they have a uh, an emotional component to them. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's not just a physical thing. And until the memories come back, you don't know what it is, but it's there. And when the, But when the first memory came back, it the attacks were much more awful. Sure. And once again, when the first memory came back, I was... <laughs> the memory was so awful and yet one side of me was grateful to have that memory because now i know what all these attacks are right for for 14 years Mm -hmm. well i got a surprise after that of now these memories started flooding back for almost a year almost every day a new memory thing Mm -hmm. tons and tons of them that's intense it is, yeah. it is, it is off the charts awful, and to to answer your question, I kind of set it up that way. Um, well, my father was part of this, and when the memory started coming back, I, I got that. That was right. that was pretty clear, and so I looked mm-hmm. back in time because my father died about fifteen years ago. And I remember going <sighs> to going to the funeral home with a couple of my sisters, and you know, you have to deal with that. I remember going in there and seeing my dead father laying there on whatever table they had. Mm-hmm. And I remember I felt nothing. Zero. And, and it shocked me and it surprised me. I'm like, why Why do I feel nothing? My father just died. Sure. I should be sad, mourning, etc. I felt absolutely nothing. It bugged me for years. Huh. And then now that I look back after all this, to answer your question further, I've always been interested in child abuse, and I never have known why. 
if I, if I heard a story on the news, I would investigate it. And it really mattered to me. Yeah. And I, it showed up in a lot of my art and music. Yeah. I go back and there's uh, so many songs I've written about child abuse. I had no idea why. Now I know why. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so when uh, if people care about this subject, it's it's important to know that if a memory does resurface like this, it's not just a memory. Yeah, the pain, the suffering, every bit of the emotion that little person felt at the mm -hmm. time they were tortured comes mm -hmm. back. Right. Um, when that little kid was being tortured, that hormonal rush, that panic, that, that adrenaline and cortisol pushed, that pushes through your body, that fight or flight, mm -hmm. panic response, stress, whatever you want to call it, all of that comes back. Yeah. It's all stored. And so as an adult, when these were coming back with the memories, all of that came back with it. Right. Man, what a, what an interesting... What an interesting way life is that it does such a thing. Yes. That's meaning that the body can store all of that, and then sometime decades later, it can all come back. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't seem fair, you know, in many ways. It's like, wait a minute. I had the hell abused out of me as a kid, and I have to relive this again? Yeah. Well, it mm -hmm. sort of makes sense if you look at many adults who do not heal. You know, they... When that comes back, it is so awful. I can see why they turn to alcohol to suppress it. Yeah. Or to other addictions from porn to other drugs, etc. Sure. Because it's that awful. And who wants to face right. that, especially face that again? And then many adults, unfortunately, um, commit suicide. Yeah. I'm homeless on the street. It is, it is so awful to deal with. Well, and if, if, if adults who have to deal with that uh let's say they be they turn to alcohol and they become an alcohol alcohol addict uh, well now they have they have compounded their healing process now they got to overcome alcohol alcoholism yeah and and then go back and hopefully face how to heal from them yeah well and i i know like even in my journey yeah. um it took me a year of crying oh my and, I, and I, I do say that very specifically to be able to forgive what happened in my childhood mm. and and i remember being in that process and i remember thinking how can anyone feel this much yeah exactly it's up so to that point i was so numb so intense yeah. yeah and it was it literally was like i had gone from there was no emotion. Like I, I really, like I had no highs. I had no lows. It was just existing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everything was in full force. And I was like, I, I mean, like I was just overwhelmed with the sheer amount of emotion that was even possible. Yeah. You know, coming out of being numb. And I feel like um, it a lot of times did almost feel like that, the panic attack that you're talking about. Yeah. Because it's like I, I couldn't control it. There was no, it, and it would be triggers that I didn't even know were triggers. Yeah. And yeah. and I didn't know what they were. So it felt like kind of trying to manage landmines. Yeah. 
-hmm. in an area where you don't even know the map. You're yeah. exactly right. It hits you and you have, it, it's like a left hook out of nowhere. Have, yeah. What the hell was right. that? So, I, I mean, I can, I can definitely relate to that. And I know I wanted the healing, you know, but I can see why people will start the healing journey and then you almost see them like going to regress. Yeah. And then you see them like start and you do a little bit more healing and then you kind of see them regress. Yeah. And it's just the sheer energy that it takes. Smart. Well, think about that too, with what you said. Um, there's a classic case, let's say, or many classic cases of, uh, let's say, a young girl, who, a little girl who gets raped, right? And then later on in life, she will grow up and often date men who abuse her. Mm. That, that's, that happens a lot. And you're like, well, why would she do that? Why would she gravitate towards something that's awful? Well, it's, it's, it's what she's familiar with. Mm -hmm. So often when this abuse comes back, you, you may have two choices, two awful choices. One is live with what's familiar to me, but it's still awful. Or the greater pain or the greater road of pain to choose is go face this head on where it's really, really awful. Yeah. Many people choose to live with it live with the less of the two awful paths let's say right and so they so to your point that's where mm -hmm. they go and that's where they stay right and i i i do understand that and i also know like um it's very common with people who've been even in domestic violence situations yes and people will say, I would never let that happen to me. I would never stay. And then, like, you see people that are in those situations, and it's like they've had every choice taken away from them. They've had every opportunity taken away from them. They've been isolated. They've been separated. You know, it wasn't an overnight thing. It was a slow process, you know, of one inch at a time. Yeah having those freedoms stripped from you, having your, you know, every decision questioned, having all of those things happen. So then when they're trying to get out, you know, we want to just fix it, right? We want to step in and we want to protect them and we want to quote unquote, rescue them from themselves. Yeah. Um, but the greatest thing is to just be present and to let them make the decision that they need to make for themselves. Yeah. Similarly, you need that with like a lot of the trafficking victims, especially as they're older. Yeah. You know, like because yeah. they have to decide that they want something different mm -hmm. in their life and they need the support with them to empower all of those decisions, right? Yeah. When, when they can make that decision for themselves, they're not like as likely to run back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because they're like, no, I've made this decision and it's not, a, well, you're in a bad place. So we're just going to fix this for you. And then they get dumped somewhere else. And like, well, this sucks too. Yeah. yeah. Well, a couple of things you said there are interesting. One is that um, you don't have to have experienced like rape and torture to be traumatized. Right. Um, you. You could be a little girl on the playground in grammar school and some bullies come up and pull your pants down and embarrass you to such a degree that that really traumatizes you. And you can live with that your whole life. Mm -hmm. And it can affect your adulthood. Something as, let's say, mild as that. But to that person, it's not so mild. 
Right. You can also have two people who experience the same thing that like like that. Uh, maybe the bullies went and pulled the pants down of some other kid, and it didn't affect that kid. Mm-hmm. There are also different types of trauma, if you will, that can stay with you your whole life. I mean, you can be abused, and that could be one trauma, and you could be uh, not heard as a kid. You you mm-hmm. say something and nobody listens to you. Well, that in on its own can be traumatic you you can just be lost you can be abandoned you can be um have a lot of verbal abuse thrown at you and maybe not physical and that can be traumatic and so imagine you are like the adult you is like you're on a you're you're the bus driver and in the back of the bus are a whole bunch of little youths and let's say you were traumatized 200 times over however many years well, there, there's part, more than likely there are 200 little U's on your bus that you're driving around with, and you have to go back to each one individually to that point in time when that abuse was happening to that little U. You've got to um, you've got to heal from each one. It's not like a broad stroke. It's like I go back and I heal from all these at once. Yeah. Right. Which makes the healing process far more difficult. It's a process. Yeah. It's a process that, mm-hmm. depending on how many times you were abused, it's that, it's that much of a process. Yeah. And one of the awful things about this, this abuse coming back uh, later in life is that, well, the memories come as they come. You mm-hmm. don't, it doesn't, you don't get this memory that says, hey, I was abused 250 times over five years. That doesn't happen. Right. And so when the memories start coming back and, and all the awful emotions and physical stuff, you don't know how many there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't know if the duration is going to be a, a month or a few times or a year. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of all, I've, I've researched this subject so much, especially during the healing process. And another challenge with all this is that there are different modalities of healing. Mm-hmm. Not all the professional psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, therapists agree that there's one way to heal from this. Right. Uh, there's body work. There's EMDR, you know, eye movement stuff. There's uh, mm-hmm. there's tapping techniques. There are breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. Some people advocate some form of yoga body work. Some advocate uh, some like acting or drama related therapy where you act out the abuse that happened to you maybe it works i don't i don't believe in that stuff personally um there's a whole new school of uh thought around psychedelics ayahuasca dmt etc that has some sort of traction etc and then there's the classic psychology visit with a psychologist um, who will take you back to those events and, and Mm-hmm. face it head on and basically clean it, clean it up and get it, get it out of your body. And that's what I went through. And when we get mm-hmm. to the healing process, which, which is absolutely magical, the healing process, Wonderful. it is amazingly magical. Um, and it works. Good. So if you want, if you want to go there now, we can, or if you want yeah, to go ahead. Okay. So here's how it works or how it works with me. And it's possible this could work with other people as well. Okay. Um, 
many of these techniques, especially the body techniques, are an attempt to keep one grounded. Right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, one of the classic ones is eye movement, right? And so the therapist will put their, move their hand left and right and get you as the subject to, to follow the, his hand back and forth. Mm-hmm. Well, that came out of, uh, uh, I forget who the psychologist was, was working with a patient. And when, what happens is, is they get you to go back to that actual moment when that kid was abused. And when you go back there, what you're, what you're searching for isn't, you're not searching for a little you that got abused necessarily. What, when that whole thing hits you as an adult, you're asking yourself, what am I feeling? Right. Right. Am I feeling uh, physical pain, suffocation? Am I feeling like I'm being raped? What am I feeling? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling not heard? Am I feeling like I'm, I have uh, this huge weight on me I have to carry that I can't get off? Uh, what am I feeling? And so, and so this awfulness overcomes you and what am I feeling? Okay, let's say I'm feeling suffocated to death. Like really Okay, now I need to go back in time and find this little kid who is suffocating to death. I need to find him. Yeah. In some cases, I was able to find this little boy fairly quickly. In other cases, I I couldn't find him for days. And I'd have to relive this for days, and eventually, I would find this little kid. Well. Because when you go back in time to the little kid, you literally, you literally go there. Mm-hmm. Well, your whole mindset is, is in like a dream state and you literally are going back. Well, some, some of these body techniques, which are good, are meant to keep you grounded in the present. Right. And so if your eye movement is here in the present, while you're going back there, you can remind your current adult body that I, I'm literally here sitting on this couch with somebody who cares about me. Yeah. I'm not literally being tortured, although I'm feeling like I'm being tortured. Yeah. So the process of keeping you grounded so that you don't go so far into that, you lose the fact that you're grounded. That's what these techniques are. Mm-hmm. One of the things that worked for me often was uh, I would get my wife to take, uh, if she was around, because these, these, these attacks happen absolutely at random. Yeah. I would get her to just drive me around. Mm-hmm. The movement, as I was dealing with the movement of, of being being helps me stay grounded. Sure. Well, when you go back and find that little kid and you've identified the emotion, uh, now, now as an adult, you are witnessing this little child being tortured horribly, and it, yeah. the first few times it shocks the hell out of you because there there is a separation between adult you and little you. Yeah. That what you're feeling is everything little you is actually going to be right then, right at that time. It's right in the middle of it. And what what the task is to do is to not necessarily rescue this little child and provide safety, but to help the child find its own safety. It's like the little child has to work it out and you're there to support and help. And so like in one, in one, and this is where the magical part comes in. Um, like in one case, I was sitting in this room and in the other room, I could hear torture going on. And I knew it because I was, I, I, 
I knew what was going on because I'd been there. Yeah. And, well, I was like in a waiting room where it's like you're next, right? And right. so this, this lady came and um, she came to grab me, grab little, I was probably three or four little guy. And, you know, they're going to grab you around the arms and lift you up because you're a little kid and lift you up and take you where you don't want to go. Yeah. Well, um, I was able to find that little boy right as that act was happening. And I was able to whisper in his little ear and say, you can do anything you want to get out of this. What do you want to do? I had no idea what that little guy would say or want to do. But in that particular case, he said, can I freeze her? I said, yes. And he did. And she literally froze like in a block of ice mid grab. That's magical. This is the magical part of it. Of it. Yeah. And with her frozen, I said, come on, let's go. And we snuck out of there. And, you know, he held me super tight like a little kid would do. And now that kid in that one particular trauma found safety. And what's fascinating about that is all the while this is happening, I am, adult me is in extreme pain. And the moment that little kid was safe, all of it left me. Completely mm. left my body. I went calm. And to this day, it hasn't been too long, but to this day, I believe, and it bears, it bears out that that particular episode is not any longer in my body. Okay. That's, that's how you get rid of it. That's at least in my case, and that's how you heal. And it's magical and it's painful as hell. And so I can see why many people don't want to. It's so painful going back there. They, you know, we humans, we, we naturally avoid pain and seek pleasure. It's our nature. Yeah. Yeah. And so how many of us want to go head on into pain? Not many of us, whether right. it be trauma or just things in life that are difficult. And so I had hundreds of such journeys. Um, do you want to hear more or where do, where do we want to go with it? Um, so the, the first story that you told about the coffin, was that you? Was that your story? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very sorry that that happened <laughs> to you. Yeah. Um, but I think I know in your survey thing yeah. that you, you had mentioned uh, infant torture and some other things, yeah. um, which obviously those are horrendously terrible. So in the group that your, I guess your father was in, yeah, was it they were all abusing each other's children? Yeah, that's interesting, right? So they, um, I don't know if all of them, but I know many yes. of them, many of the adults had children. I do remember mm -hmm. that. Um, what these creeps will do often in a, in a case like that is, like in my situation, I come from a big family, 10 kids, right? They picked on me and my sister, but let's say not everybody else. And they do, they often do that strategically because if they get found out or child protective services come by or something is, you know, and they talk to all the kids and all the kids say, no, this didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. And then one says, yes, this did happen. Well, yeah. they, they tend not to believe the one. Right. 
a little do they know often that that's a strategy on, on the part of the creeps to do this. Right. So they don't get found out and discovered. Okay. But yes, this was a ring of adults with, there were plenty of other kids there my age. I've seen some of them killed, die. And, and that alone is its own trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Witnessing either an adult or a child die. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, again, I'm very sorry that that happened. And I know even for me, sometimes it's hard to discuss things like this with people that don't understand, or maybe they had safe families, or maybe, you know, they had safe parents. And sometimes their paradigm of their parents always being their safe place mm -hmm. almost precludes them from being able to comprehend these types yeah. of backgrounds. But, and yeah. fair enough to them, right? Yeah. And All right. and you can have you you can have people who, who maybe doubt what you're saying, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's just a bit magical stuff going back in time and changing the narrative, changing the story to heal. And uh but you know, I've talked to people who talk about this and, and I ask them, okay, tell me a memory in your life that you had that you actually remember it could be a happy memory like the day I got married or something, right? Or you know, or I, I was riding on my bike and I crashed and broke my arm. I remember that real vividly because, you know, it was a we don't remember everything in life, but but mm -hmm. we do have key memories from key events that stick with us. Right. And well if I go back in time with somebody and say, Okay, well tell me the emotion about let's say it's the day they're married, tell me the emotion of that day. Oh they, they readily tell you I was happy and uh, excited and marrying the love of my life and all this and, and and then then i get into okay tell me some of the details what was going through your body how did you feel how did you act? what were the sights the sounds the smells and often they can con they can they can bring up those things to the point where even though that happened 20 years ago they can they can feel the joy if it was a joyful thing today mm -hmm. <laughs> they can feel the the joy of that memory that happened 20 years ago. They can mm -hmm. live in many senses. Well, these memories for me and many people who go through this stuff are as vivid, if not more vivid, than other classic memories. Right. They are right. that strong. When you go back, you, or you, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the activity, mm -hmm. The emotions, the hurt, all of that is so strong and so colorful and so vivid. Uh, yeah. And if it wasn't so damn painful, right, I would even question the reality of it. Right. Yeah. But the 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 pain of it is so so strong. And then rewriting and changing the narrative, and then having it all go away, like it like it did hundreds of times, is so magical and so real. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this stuff haunted me. For, um, for 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 14 15 years right and nobody i went to and oh my gosh I've, I've seen so many doctors i've seen so many uh naturopathic doctors acupuncturists spiritual healers i ran the gamut for 14 years trying to figure out what was happening not yeah. not not one of them until the memories came back, I was able to find a really amazing psychologist who specialized in sexual ritualistic abuse. Mm -hmm. For 14 years until that point, not one of them 
had a clue what was happening to my body. Right, right. And it wasn't a small thing when these episodes happened. It it knocked me out for days. Right. It's no, not, you meant sorry. It's not. It's not a nothing. Right. Yeah. It's not just oh, I remember that was awful and move on. No, the whole. Right. I would, I would, I would be out for days. Literally, mm -hmm. uh, very very dramatic. Now, the psychologist I work with told me that she worked with a lot of patients, and for some reason, the physical effect. <clears throat> excuse me. The physical effect this had on me was very dramatic. Right. Many of her patients don't experience the hardcore physical effect. It's mm -hmm. the mental, mm -hmm. mental side, the wanting to commit suicide. But even if something drives you to suicide, good grief, that is awful. It's, mm -hmm. it's, yes. not, it's not nothing. Something's yeah. going on there. And then to get to a point where you can do what I did and have it have it go away, <clears throat> that's as real as as anything. Yes. Yeah. It's like being rescued, right? Absolutely being rescued. Another yeah. thing to point out in all this is that, especially when these memories started coming back, the same thing applied. It's when these memories came back, it was the little me being tortured and abused that I was reliving as an adult. And so as an adult, the one thing I wanted more than anything through this healing process was somebody in the room Yes. If I was lucky, it was a spouse or a or a <clears throat> child who was actually holding me or holding my hand. Yeah. Or if it was me working with the therapist, just having having somebody in the room that I could go to for that safety. Yes. And it was the little me reliving the same thing. So, as as an adult, if you're dealing with this, um, keep that in mind. Have somebody who cares and loves you uh, as you're going through this because it is the most important thing. Right. I agree. Uh, well, where can they uh, read your book? Uh, my website is Jimmy Toro, J I M M I, Toro, T O R O, dot com. And then I've started a nonprofit called Rescue 11, so rescue11.org. And uh, the, the the purpose of the nonprofit is to go into communities and raise awareness that these creeps are right in, in your community and they wake up every day thinking about how can I steal, abuse, and or kill your child. Now, that sounds very harsh, but that's exactly what they do. Uh, from the work, from the mouth of uh, child predators, some quotes. One quote is, I am master manipulator. I manipulate children and adults. I was a brother, a father, a son, a husband, and nobody around me had a clue that I was sexually attracted to five-year-old little girls. Right. From another predator, a little child is no different than a ham sandwich. A ham sandwich is an object that satisfies my hunger. That little kid is an object that satisfies my desire to control and abuse sexually. Yeah. These creeps, from another, from another pedophile type of person, I am as addicted to abusing little children as I would be if I was addicted to cocaine. I can't stop. And it's true, these creeps don't stop. And they don't repent, and they don't heal, and they don't get over it. They don't, they don't overcome it. And so, 
So anyway, so the way we do this is we go into, we're just starting this, but we go into two communities and we set up a high school club. And the purpose of the club is like a hub where these kids, because these are the kids who are, they're the targets. Yeah. And um, so, so these young kids can connect with community, with religions in the community, with nonprofits, with the judicial system, with the law enforcement in the community, and any other organization, legal. Uh, they can c connect with uh, uh, qualified therapists and psychologists in case they, they find somebody who needs help. You know, they're not going to be the psychologists, obviously, they're kids. And then we're yeah. setting up other other groups. We're setting up our first one uh, up in, in a town called Grants Pass in Southern Oregon. Uh, we're mm -hmm. setting up adult groups, uh, typically uh, people who are retired and, and often need a purpose and have the right. being and the time. And these adult adult groups will meet monthly or whatever they do for the same purpose to raise awareness in the communities of, of how these creeps get to your kids online for instance right how, how the how you'll find them in malls scoping out kids like a lion what you know on the sideline watching a bunch of wildebeest run walk by you know they know they know that to target the young and the, the aged and the weak these predators are very good at doing this. They use kids to help target kids. They, they'll pay a 14-year-old boy lots of money to that kid if the 14-year-old boy will go and befriend this girl that they think would be a candidate and convince that girl that, hey, you know, here's a modeling opportunity or a job opportunity. They're very good at what they do, and they, and they are right there in plain sight. So that's the yeah. of our Rescue 11 organization. So. If any of your viewers uh, are interested in setting up such clubs in your community or this or that or want to donate, help or cause, uh, go to rescue11.org. Wonderful. Yeah. I don't know if we're running out of time, but we might be. <laughs> You're getting close. Okay. Yeah close but i did want to thank you for being on and for for sharing just some of your story because i do think that that's one of the things that we find a lot is that people say it's not happening in my community it's not happening here in america they say that you know that's a third world problem and it's not it okay, is so i was i had a podcast two days ago and got on this subject and 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 I asked the, the podcaster, I said, okay, well, while we're talking, go online really quick and look in a three-block area of where you live, the registered sex offenders. Yeah. And he looked and found it was 22, three-block area where he lives. Yeah. Uh, the national average in the United States is, uh, from state to state, is about 150 to 200 registered sex offenders within a within a demographic of a hundred thousand per 100,000 people okay uh, in the state of Oregon and Montana for instance it's it's as high as 700 per 100,000 okay and I mean just do the math and these are the ones that have been caught and busted and assigned you know registered sex offenders by the law right. well within your community if, the, if you find 10 in a square mile area where you live or 20 or whatever there's more because yeah. there's plenty that have not been caught right there are lots of them and they are it's not a matter of are they in your community they are yeah mm -hmm. they definitely are yeah. mm -hmm. this is all really good information and you know as people are educated mm -hmm. they're empowered to take action and to protect yeah not only their own children but their their community yeah 
and these and these grandparents, these older folks who are retired, who are trying, who are setting up clubs for them, is is often, believe it or not, when a, when a child is is abused in the home, it's by somebody they know, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Often the, the the siblings or the parents or uncles or aunts or whatever are don't believe them, but often the grandparents do, and it's mm-hmm. often the grandparents who rat out the person who did the abuse. And so there are a whole demographic of grandparents and, and retired adults who can be a huge help in this. Yes. And they're wise people. <laughs> they, 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 they see things and they believe the child when others around won't believe the child. Right. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, raising awareness and for um, being a voice to really begin the process of stopping this here in America and even around the world, because we know that it's going to take every one of us working together and shedding light on this and bringing it out into the open because the things that are hidden uh, can stay in darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for the platform. I really appreciate it. You, you have an audience and platform in an area I do not. And it's a real pleasure being able to share this to, to your people and get this out. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.